For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a report on the pros and cons of Prop 123. Find out the latest about budget negotiations in the state capitol. Meet a local man who's planning to literally work his way across the United States. And a conversation with William Shatner about his stellar career and how he's bringing his world to Tucson. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Throughout the week, AZPM News has reported on the significance of Arizona's special election on May 17th. The most contentious issue on the ballot is Proposition 123, a proposal to settle a years-long education funding lawsuit. Mariana Dale talked to opponents and supporters about the measure. Sunnyside teacher Jennifer Valentine scouts the best spot for a vote yes on Prop 123 sign. She says many of her colleagues haven't seen raises in years. That's why she joined them on a recent Saturday to spread the word about the May election. We both really want to stay here. We both love our jobs and we both also realize that if we don't receive more funding, a lot of people are going to continue to leave the profession. To be clear, if Prop 123 passes, it's up to school districts to decide how the money is spent. Sunnyside's governing board has committed to raising salaries. A lot of people we know, and you know, ourselves included, both of us have worked second jobs and, and it's exhausting. Valentine says part of her paycheck goes back into her classroom anyway. When her school's copy machine was on the fritz last year, she spent hours of her own time and money to make copies elsewhere. She says at this point, any new money would help. I don't think it's enough, but I think it's a really positive first step and it'll allow us to start taking those baby steps towards greater progress. Nine other school districts also told AZPM teacher wages are a priority, including Saurita, where Manuel Valenzuela is superintendent. The greatest resource that, that we have is the people uh, across the board from our teachers, administrative support staff. It's a service-oriented profession, and the people deliver the services to our students and their families. South of Tucson, the Vail School District plans to give retention bonuses and buy teachers new computers if the measure passes. That isn't enough to convince Vail parent Heather Morzinski to vote yes in May. My kids are in kindergarten and first grade. They're very young. When Prop 123 is over in 10 years, my kids will be in high school. And all of a sudden, there's no funding to cover that. When Morzinski says Prop 123 is over in a decade, she's talking about the amount of time the state could pull extra money from the state land trust fund to pay for inflation. After that, it's unclear where the money will come from. Morzinski also had a concern I heard from other parents. They say they don't trust Arizona leaders to follow through. I honestly believe that if this is passed, the legislature will next year decide, okay, they passed it, that's great. Now all this money is coming to education for the land trust fund. We can cut even more education funding out of the general fund budget. There are several mechanisms built into Prop 123 that would allow Arizona to stop pulling money from the trust fund to pay for inflation. They include if the state experiences a recession and if education funding meets or exceeds 49% of the budget. Morgan Abraham, chairman of the committee opposing Proposition 123, says these will stifle education funding in the long term. 
the 49% trigger has nothing to do with the trust. It has nothing to do with any sort of fiscal conservatism. It just pretty much says this is the most you can spend on education. Right now, education makes up about 42% of the general fund budget. The most vocal opponent at the state capitol has been Arizona Treasurer Jeff DeWitt, who says the increased pull from the state land trust fund will damage its value long term. This is already the school's money. And so to settle this lawsuit, all they're doing is the governor is taking that money from the schools, giving it to schools up front as saying, OK, now I don't owe you any money so they can go do other things. The state land trust makes money from investments in stocks and bonds and distributes a percentage of this to schools. DeWitt says while the trust fund has grown substantially in recent years, he's worried the increased payouts would harm the permanent value of the fund. The point of it is, is to grow this forever because there's a limited supply of land. Once we sell the land, it's gone forever. DeWitt says a better way to settle the lawsuit would be to use the state's budget surplus. If people just vote no, we can do things the right way. A no vote brings nothing positive to the education funding conversation. That's Arizona Education Association President Andrew Morrill. He started as president the same year the organization became a plaintiff in the case that led to Prop 123. Unlike DeWitt, he doesn't believe a no vote on Prop 123 will open the door to other solutions. It's true that the plaintiffs representing our students were winning, but the win was producing nothing. All the victories we had in the court process did not bring any funding to our students, didn't bring any funding to our teachers or other educators. Even with Prop 123 money, Arizona's per-pupil funding falls significantly below the national average. Supporters and opponents I talk to agree on one thing. With or without Prop 123, Arizona needs to continue the conversation on education funding. For Arizona Spotlight, I'm Mariana Dale. Hearing about Prop 123 and the debate over education funding in Arizona brings up some of the issues that legislators face when they try to compose a state budget. Joining me now is Christopher Conover to let us know how that is going. Christopher, people are really looking at the legislature and expecting results right now, but what's the situation in the Capitol? At the first part of the week, it was announced that Senate and House leaders and the governor had agreed to a budget plan, and they expected to vote it by the end of the week. As we approached the end of the week, we realized that was going to be a much harder lift than they thought. The problem actually is not in the Senate. The Senate appears to be able to pass their version of their budget fairly easily. But in the House, funding for K-12 education, what Prop 123 is going to try and do is actually the hang-up. There's a small group of Republicans who have told leadership that they can't vote for the budget deal that was unveiled in the early part of the week. It doesn't have enough funding for K-12 education. The Senate had voted their budget out of committee, setting it up for a floor vote, before the House had even introduced their version of the budget. There were fits and starts in getting it into the Appropriations Committee even in the House. And it's all over this argument over only about $30 million for K-12 education. Now, I know most of our listeners and you and I say $30 million, that's a lot of money. The overall budget is essentially $9.6 billion. So $30 million is a very small amount in the larger picture. What do you think Governor Ducey would like to see happen at this point? 
The governor has said through his spokesman earlier in the week that he has no problem increasing the K-12 funding by the amount this group of Republicans wants. So it's a matter of getting everything lined up. But with budgeting, there's always a question, where does the money come from? And we then get into a philosophical debate within the legislature. The state has a good size, what they call rainy day fund, extra pot of money. And a lot of lawmakers, including Republicans and certainly Democrats, say, great, we have all this extra money. We've been cutting programs for years. Let's go get some of that extra money and start spending it. Others, more conservative, fiscally conservative members of the legislature, say, no, we shouldn't do that. We're still in a recovery phase from the recession. Things could change. We need to keep that money on hand longer. So it's a bit of a philosophical difference. When do you spend that extra money? How does the funding for universities in Arizona come into play in this? As everyone knows, the past few years have been tough on the university budgets from the state standpoint. There is new money in the budget for the universities this year. A lot of it is what they call one-time money. It's about $60 million in one-time money, which means these are dollars that will come this year, but don't count on them for next year. The purpose is to make up for some of the cuts that have come in the last few years. There's an interesting little question about some of the funding for the universities. There's $5 million for what are called freedom schools, and there's one of them here at the University of Arizona, and there's one at Arizona State. The Board of Regents didn't ask for the money. The universities didn't ask for that money. These are schools that were initially set up with funding from the Koch brothers um, for what they say is the advancing of free enterprise ideals. They don't offer degrees. They're think tanks. And there are a lot of questions about who put this $5 million in. Uh, the University of Arizona, I believe, gets $2 million, and ASU gets $3 million of that. What are some of the other issues with the budget that legislators are struggling with right now? The big struggle, as we just talked about, is education funding. But because there is a surplus this year, there is some new money. For example, the Department of uh, Child Safety is getting about $24 million additional dollars. They need to hire more caseworkers and things like that. The governor unveiled late last year what he called the Border Strike Force, and it is supposed to come out of uh, the Department of Public Safety and go after drug and human smuggling along the border without the help of the federal government. He's not getting all the money he asked for with that, but there is money there to really get that uh, strike force going. Overall, in the budget, there's about $470 million of this one-time funding uh, to make up for losses in previous years or to get programs beginning, but there's no guarantee, again, that that money will be there next year. And as this budget goes on, there's no guarantee it'll be there when they finish now. Well, give us your best guess as a capital watcher on what you expect to happen in the next few days. The next few days will be very interesting. On Wednesday night, House Speaker David Gowan sent an email to all of the House members that said, tell my staff if you have anything going on this weekend that you can't get out of, which began to hint uh, how deep some of these budget problems may be, the discussions. They could potentially vote over the weekend uh, on the budget. 
Well, all the reports that Christopher Conover is filing and the rest of the AZPM News team are available for you at news.azpm.org. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Stay tuned for more Arizona Spotlight and William Shatner after this break. Welcome back to the show. While many dream of going on an extended road trip to see America from coast to coast, taking that kind of time away from work can be difficult. Tony Paniagua met a Tucson man who's planning to take his work on the road with him, using his phone to find people along the way who could use a little help. Juan Bayardo, John Bayardo, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So how did this idea come about? Your goal is to see all 50 states, but work in all 50 states. You are not asking for donations, help my dream come true. You're going to earn your way across the country. Can you tell me about that idea, please? It just came to me one night, and being a man of many trades and, and abilities to earn money, I thought how neat it would be for me to be able to say that I worked in all 50 states. I figured that if I wanted to prove that I can work and earn my way through the 50 states, then donations and things like that would kind of defeat the purpose of proving that it would be a survival tour, which is what I named it, a a tradesman survival tour. Let's hear a little bit about you, who you are and what you do. You're calling yourself a tradesman. You have a lot of skills. You're not referring to yourself as a handyman, although you will be working. You hope to be working in all 50 states doing things for people, right? Correct. Um, I was... Born in Nogales, Sonora, I'm an immigrant, and I was raised here in Tucson. And along the 40 years in the workforce, I've accumulated a lot of jobs. I've worn a lot of hats. I've done many different jobs. A handyman, to me, would be more like a fix-it guy, where in most of my trades are construction and building, but they're also service-related and so on. And, of course, the Internet, uh, social media is playing a role in your journey as well. Well, I thought about people can lay claim to the fact that they worked in all 50 states. So I wanted to put a different twist to it. How, how could my story be different? What would differentiate my trip from others? And I thought that using just the internet, like you said, and using just my smartphone to, to procure work would be that different twist. It's, it would be a random, unscripted, and, 
and basically I would be surviving day to day, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Some people say, well, this is great. You're 54 years old. You're going to go drive all across the United States. You must be rich. Are you rich? How are you going to do this? No, I'm a paycheck to paycheck guy too. You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. I don't really have. And if you uh, know the contracting world, it's feast or famine. We have good months and then we have bad months. This has taken off. You say you're hearing from a lot of people already and you've done a few interviews here in Tucson for newspaper, television stations. What do you think is sparking so much interest in this endeavor? Well, even I'm amazed and I haven't even traveled one mile. Uh, the thing is, I think that captivates folks is um, many of us know how beautiful the country is and many people have always wanted to visit all, all 50 states. And many people like myself who are tradesmen who, who have different skills and talents uh, would love to just be able to do it on a traveling type of situation. But most of us have responsibilities and homes and jobs that kind of keep us tied and and I found myself a place in my life a time in my life where um, my kids are grown and um, I work for myself I'm self-employed so I'm basically just taking that self-employment on the road you were telling me that you were just going to play it by ear if you go to a state and it's it fits that you'll be there for three or four or five days you might do that and then just maybe spend one day in the next state so you don't have an agenda uh, insofar as your schedule, right? The biggest question I'm asked is how long is it going to take you? How long are you going to be gone? And the, and the reality is I do not know. Some gigs are a day or some are three days. Um, there's weather to consider. There's other things to consider like um, a blown transmission. Or <laughs> For me, that was the allure. For me, that was the attraction because it was so off the cuff and so unscripted that that's what attracted me to it. John Bayardo will document his journey online at com. We have a link and photos on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. I'll tell you something right here and now. It may be hot tonight, but it's going to get hotter for a whole lot of people. This here little town's going to burn. What I mean, it's going to burn the conscience of the country and put forth a light that everyone and everybody's going to see and feel. William Shatner is well known for playing Captain Kirk on Star Trek, a show that envisioned a future when racial and gender equality was shared by everyone. But in one of his first starring film roles, Shatner played Adam Kramer, a race agitator who traveled the South stirring up bigotry and hatred to suit his employer's political goals. Director Roger Corman's The Intruder was made in 1962 and filmed in small towns in Missouri, a long way from William Shatner's birthplace of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Next week, the 85-year-old performer will visit Tucson to present his one-man show, William Shatner's World. I started our conversation by asking him to recall the struggle to make a pro-integration film in the middle of the civil rights era. What happened in the United States didn't happen in Canada. I won't say there isn't any racial tension, but it's of a different sort. So I didn't know anything about race relations, and uh, I didn't know the nuances of uh, civil war and of slavery, but I learned fast. When I was down south shooting it, and our lives were in jeopardy every day, uh, it came home how vitriolic, how acidulous everything is. Uh, about that. And although, in my opinion, 
uh, it's assuaged since then, uh, topping off with Barack Obama, it's, it's still there. But I knew nothing. When you say that there were times when you felt that you were in danger on the intruder set, can you tell us a little more about that? Can you be specific about where well, that there was were, coming from? Everybody had us in their sights. We were uh, advocating integration, and the people in that small town didn't want that. There was, in fact, a um, town hall that had steps going up to it, and a large tree shading those steps, and it was at those steps that I gave a, a long harangue about rioting and, and, uh, and, and lynching, and because several days before that scene was, was uh, on the schedule, I had been screaming and yelling. I had lost my voice, and now that Friday night, we were uh, the, this long speech of rage and destruction I was about to, to deliver. I didn't have the voice. So what we decided to do was to film the audience over my shoulder first, and then when we turned around, then I would use my voice if I had it. So we spent from evening till midnight shooting the crowd that had gathered, and we had gathered them by radio broadcast, come in, uh, and see the filming. And so hundreds of people came to those steps. And by midnight, people had disappeared. They would gotten bored, and they had left. So when the, we turned, as, as you understand, the face turned around, uh, to film me, there wasn't anybody left in the audience. So it was just me in close-up and a long shot and wide shot. The next day, as, we, as the director and I were strolling down the village, the editor of the local paper greeted us and said how smart we were to have planned not to do that in front of the audience because that tree that was in shading the, the steps had had the body of more than one black man hanging, uh, having been lynched 20 years earlier, and that many in the crowd must have been in that lynch mob. Was The Intruder a good film for you? Are you glad you made the decision to participate with that? Oh, yeah. I'm glad I made the decision to be in that film and to be uh, an intrinsic part of it, uh, uh, running cables, uh, uh, that kind of guerrilla filming. We didn't have permits or anything like that. We grabbed it when the police weren't around, and I don't know what benefits uh, accrued, if any, uh, in terms of profession, but it was uh, an enormous life experience. Why, Mr. Kramer? Because I'm an American, sir, and I love my country. And I'm willing to give my life, if that be necessary, to see that my country stays free, white, and American! An album you released that's a big favorite of mine is Has Been. I think it, it stands as one of the great pop albums of its decade, for sure. And, well, uh, I thank you for saying that. I, <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I loved doing it. I made a great friend uh, of Ben Fold, and uh, as a result, I've been able to do other, other albums. And indeed, I'm working on one right now, a Christmas album, that I'm <laughs> trying to uh, get a new reading on Christmas with Ben. Interesting. Well, at the end of one of the takes, the one, the song that you sing with Henry Rollins, uh, you hear the the uh, producer say, "Okay, let's do one more," and you say, "I'm always ready for one more." Is yeah. that is that really part of your attitude as an actor when yeah. you're on set? I think probably it's my attitude in life. Well, I do think that that album shows great depth as an artist, and it will catch anyone who listens to it for the first time off guard. 
And that's one of the things that I like most about art is stuff that catches me off guard and things that keep me guessing where it's going and um, has been up till the very last song, keeps you guessing. So I, I really, wonderful. I really I, have I, appreciated I'm so, that. So pleased that you, you said that. It makes me feel very good. I was crossing the snowfields in front of the Capitol building. It was Christmas and I was alone. Strange city, strangers for friends, and I was broke. As the carolins sang its song, I dreamt of success. I would be the best. I would make my folks proud. I would be happy. It hasn't happened yet. Well, tell us something about the world of William Shatner. What can audiences expect from what you're bringing to Tucson? Well, I'm bringing passion. If nothing else, I've led a passionate life. And uh, the things that happen on stage are filled with passion. And so it travels along different lines. I talk about music and I talk about motorcycles. And I talk about gorillas (laughs) and I talk about love and I talk about music and I talk about comedy. I I try and visit things that occurred that'll bring you to laughter and bring you to tears. I talk about, for example, death through the death of animals uh, or horse and a pet and then death itself and what we can expect and the bewilderment of of, uh, what we don't know and and uh, that's a core part of, uh, of the show. Uh, well, do you feel that you're at peace for your journey to the undiscovered country? Exactly. I'm approaching the undiscovered country very quickly. It's scary, and, and I'm trying to work up an enthusiasm for the adventure. <laughs> <laughs> By extending my horizons about the reverberation of the universe and how it probably vibrates in us and trying to go there, and I think it makes sense, and that's what I'm responding to now. Well, you mentioned motorcycles, and you mentioned horses. Although I know you've been riding a motorcycle a lot lately for a project you're working on, yeah. horse, horses are one of your great loves. So contrast those experiences for us, uh, William, taking a ride uh, on a motorcycle and taking a ride that's on a horse. That's an interesting question. Uh, the similarity is you get the, the wind in your face. After that, you're dealing with a mechanical thing that responds to you and the shifting of your weight and the movement of your hand as against an entity that has its own mind and uh, you're you're in a nonverbal conversation with that entity that says uh, no I don't think I'd like to do that and you say well I'd like to and you have that conversation it can be abrupt or it can be uh, a conversation of persuasion or somewhere in between. Uh, I am, in fact, in, in uh, Kentucky right now, and uh, just got off a horse in order to talk to you. <laughs> and in, in using your hands and your legs and your voice, you're having a, a nonverbal conversation with a living being that, if you read the right books, has its own spirit, its own soul, and its own way of dreaming, and it's own way of influencing you by some psychic manner that probably has something to do with the very electrical vibration I mentioned in, in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I've been 
reading about that and trying to use that as a, as a means of communicating with the horses I'm riding. And what's happening is I'm getting better and better as a horseman in understanding the horse. And as a result, I was winning in the past, but not as, as frequently as I am now. I've become a better rider, a better horseman is a better way of putting it, at this age because of my understanding of the horses than I was just a moment ago. I'm growing all the time uh, in, in, in terms of understanding, uh, both with horses and perhaps my own life. And I'm trying to reflect that in that one-man show. I have saved the world in the movies. So naturally, there's folks who think I must know what to do. But just because you've seen me on your TV doesn't mean I'm any more enlightened than you. You can visit William Shatner's World on Friday, May 6th at the Fox Theater in downtown Tucson. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.